Welcome everyone, I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. We're here today for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And our guest today, this is the first time this happened, our guest today is Drayden Dunn, uh, and we had his wife Brittany on, uh, well, hers will publish maybe a few weeks before Drayden, so this will be the first husband and wife duo uh, we've done hopefully not the last. So Drayden, thanks yeah, for being here. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate you, absolutely Jeff, for having me, man. Likewise. To it. Yeah, me yeah. too. All right, Drayden. So uh, let's hop in. You're this is my description of you. You're an entrepreneur and community leader. I don't want to spend too much time introducing your background and bio, as I'm confident we'll cover a good bit as we go through today. As I prepared for today's discussion, I came across some excellent quotes by you, and I'd like to use those as jumping off points for the majority of my questions. So let's start with this quote of yours today. The quote is as follows. If you do aspire to be an entrepreneur, own a business, first thing period is you just gotta eliminate fear. The thing I can guarantee is that you're gonna fail. My L's, I can write a whole list of L's, I've done lost, 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 period. But every time I took an L, you learned something from it. Talk to me about your philosophy around entrepreneurship and the way you view starting a business. Yeah, great, great, great. You've been doing some digging. That's good. I like that. Um, so to kind of talk about the fear element, which to me is the biggest thing that I had to learn at an early age. I think I got that from my dad, um, was to just try new things and um, be malleable, um, pivot, you know, don't be scared to take a first step or a stab at something that you have no experience at all. Um, usually when you talk to people about like your dreams and um, your vision, it's really difficult for people to attach those themselves to it. And the reason why is because it's your dream, it's my dream. You know, and it's not your job to make someone understand and see it, but it is your job to believe in it. Um, so when you get into having these discussions about, hey, this is what I think I want to do. Hey, this is a vision that God gave me. Hey, I woke up one day and I've been, you know, reading and researching about this topic. I'm gaining more interest. When you take that to someone who can't even fathom like what you're really thinking, usually they're going to project their own experiences on you. And it's very, very unlikely um, for entrepreneurs uh, out of Shreveport really just to spur up everywhere. Now, we do have a lot of great entrepreneurs and a lot of business owners, but when you talk about people that look like me and who I'm around, a lot of times we're first-generational business owners and entrepreneurs. So they didn't see their father, their grandfather, their aunt and uncle own a family business. Um, they went to school, they got a trade, um, most dropped out of school, and this is our first time really stepping out. So usually when you give someone an idea that they've never heard before or tried, they're like, I'm going to push back, I'm going to push back. And you receive that too, because you trust your friends and your family, your colleagues, uh, people that you went to school with, your social media friends, and sometimes they have a little bit too much influence on you. And so you receive that fear, and you've thought your way out of your dream and you kind of went and said hey what if this goes wrong um, what if I don't have enough money what if I build it and no one comes all of those are fear and the thought of the fear is actually more powerful than the task itself it's the anticipation of the loss so the first few times that I started some businesses which I've owned several different businesses and um, 
I did have fear for some of the larger ones. Like when I got into transportation, that was something that I had no experience doing. I can't even move an 18-wheeler. If you ask me to back it up, I can't back it up. I, I can't drive a stick, none of those things. So how do you get into transportation, right? And I got it from talking to different people while I was a banker. But I did have fear because of the size of it. But because I started businesses before and I went through ups and downs, I was able to eliminate the fear by saying, hey, I've been here before. It's something that I recognize. This like uncomfortable feeling of it, I'm used to dealing with. It's no different than anyone else. Jeff, you get the same fear that I can get. Um, Ellen behind the camera, she can get the same fear. Like we all can get the same fear. How do we deal with that uncomfortability, right? And then over time, you start striking the iron and you get comfortable with that. So that's what I was trying to like motivate people to say, you know, don't overthink it. You're going to learn more in the field and in the trenches than you are like discussing your own dreams with someone who hasn't even stepped in that field. And um, in Shreveport, we have a lot of pioneers, I believe, because the demographics have changed tremendously. You know, um, so now you have a lot of first generational owners stepping up to the plate and they're trying to figure out, hey, what do I do? Well, my advice is you just do it, you know, um, because rather you lose because you i say i said in that quote i can guarantee failure yes because we're all imperfect doing imperfect things with imperfect other people we're just gonna not just hit a home run every single time but you start learning you know little tidbits right you get in some rooms and then you start picking up on things that other successful business owners do maybe because you took a chance on something someone gave you opportunity to meet someone and they kind of dropped the gem on you or you met someone else and they gave you access to capital. Or you met someone else and they say, hey, I did that business and it's not what you think it is. It like, Because a lot of people see the destination, but I want us to fall in love with the journey. So the journey of entrepreneurship and the journey of like trying new things. The journey of, hey, let's rinse and repeat. Let's see what sticks and what doesn't. Like Those are the like things that drive me. And I think for entrepreneurs, business, even professionals, right? Find those little things that just say, okay, this, this feels good. This is like short success. I can attach myself to that habit every day. Like I enjoy the smell of that coffee. I enjoy having that team meeting. Even things that you don't enjoy, you know, try to figure out like what's the best part of it? Because it's really not that bad if you really just look at it from a totality standpoint. Uh, it could be your perception. It can be, you know, your attitude, right? So anyway. So <laughs> let me ask you. It's kind of a tough question, but I feel like there's a fine line between just doing it, jumping in, mm -hmm. and you know, overthinking it. So, mm -hmm. what's the, what's the sweet spot? How do you know? Like, I've thought enough about it sure. to just do it. Well, jump. So when I say jump in, I'm not saying quit your job because a lot of people say, "Ooh, I, I like this." You know, I'm not gonna show up Monday, and the money gonna come. So I don't want people thinking that. Um, start the research. You know, start taking it from a hobby to something that you can see yourself monetizing. Um, start not just spending an hour on it, you know, spend several hours on it. Um, be intentional in how you plan your calendar. Say no to things that may hold you back. Sacrifice some things that may not add to the progression of your dream. And what's the trigger for you where you go, I've done enough, I don't know everything, mm -hmm. but I know enough, mm -hmm. I'm going. I think I'm overly confident. I think, um, 
I, I, I try to tr chase interest and then I try to chase monetization to build capacity to, to increase my interest, like time for my interest. Um, so, so some of the things we just have to do, they're money-making opportunities. Uh, for example, like um, my biggest dream is to do a feature film um, and, and really be a, a consistent executive producer of black film uh, shot in Shreveport, but uh, on, on a national scale, okay? Uh, unfortunately, when I was around 22 and I started looking into cinematography, I found it was quite expensive to, to really get that quality threshold that you want. So how do I fund a film that's fifty thousand, one hundred thousand dollars, right? Um, you can you can sit there and you can try and pitch your script to several people and maybe go get a loan or fly to Los Angeles or fly to, or drive or whatever whatever have you. Or I can find a business that I feel like is good that can make money, save my money, and fund a dream that's in the future and not become impatient and waiting with that. And I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I don't know if there's a sweet spot because everyone's sweet spot is, is different. You know, I'm like balls to the wall, like go get it. You can do it. You can put your mind to it. And that may not be for everyone. Um, but I think what happens for me is I say, okay, I have an interest. This is interest. Can it make us money? Uh, can it be sustainable if I continue to do it over and over? If the answer is no, that's an interest that I have to put on a back burner and do in the future or figure a way out to monetize it. I heard someone say, hey, you want to ride horses every day? Well, you just can't do that and make a living, but you can teach people how to ride horses every day and you get to ride your horse every day. So you have to figure out like, hey, is it able to be monetized? And if it's not, it's okay with being a passion project. But on the other side, um, I look for opportunities to build capacity. What I want to do is like hire people um, young people, people that feel like they can't do a job here in Shreveport, that they have to go to Dallas or they have to go to New Orleans or Atlanta to, to really come. No, I want you to come work here. I want to build capacity here. And then I want us to fund passion projects um, with our money. So that's kind of what I am. And everyone's goal is different. But um, being in Shreveport, I think all the leadership are pioneers and we have to do things first. We just got to jump out there. And, and then once someone else sees it, it's like, oh, Jeff, Jeff has a successful podcast. I can do a podcast now, you know, but we have to see it to believe it. Only a few of us can see it internally and then have the, the guts to try it out. And honestly, if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, let's just go find something else. You know, that's what entrepreneurs, in my opinion, do. Yeah. Love it. All right. So you're, as I said, you're a leader in this community and heavily involved. The next quote of yours I'd like you to talk about is the following. You said, it's hard to change the mentality of a community. It doesn't happen overnight. It may not even happen for us to see. I don't know, I just know we need to move it forward. What do you see as your role and or responsibility to our community? Yeah, so education and learning. Um, and that's not at a like a scholastic uh, institutional way. It's about getting into rooms, uh, entities, discussions that we have not been privy to. We as the people of Shreveport, African Americans, young people that deal with ageism, I want to get in that room and I want to hear about opportunities, um, standard operating procedures, um, old school way of doing business even and take this back 
to our people and say, hey, this is what you can do. That's number one. Um, that's the big thing. But I don't want to get caught up in trying to save everyone. Like, sometimes we can swing really big and we keep missing. There's only going to be a few that I feel like are going to understand and actually drink the water that we lead them to. I'm focused on them. And that's why I'm not, when I was younger, fresh out of high school, save the world, save the race, save the city, save everybody. All right. Now I'm like, hey, can we incrementally change? Can we inspire someone that may change the world? We may not change the world, but can we inspire them? And the first thing is, it's just understanding what the opportunities are. That's why I make it my business to travel down to South Louisiana, you know, to bridge that gap. Um, you think about the proximity of Shreveport to the capital or the proximity of Shreveport to New Orleans, which, of course, is a large tourism um, city that, that really makes a lot, a lot of money, has a lot of resources we get left out the conversation. So when you look at a project distance report, when you look at filmmaking, you know, we had opportunity after Katrina and we did a great job. Now things have went back to New Orleans and, and other regions. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going down there to say, hey, don't forget about Shreveport. Um, and someone has to do that. Um, but as far as like a community leader, I, I, I want to lead in uh, being who God called me to be and being myself. When I got out of the white collar industry um, as a banker, because I was a banker for eight years, okay, I felt like I hit a glass ceiling. Um, I felt like the ideas that I would bring to the table, you know, were never considered because there's already so much structure uh, and there's a way of doing business and you have to go through too many hands to get your voice heard. That was a trigger for me to start my own business, which in return put me in a room to where I was being myself and being accepted. That was something new for me. I had never been in a professional environment to where I can wear my hoodie. I can speak the way I want to speak. Um, I can actually like present an idea and someone say, let's go with it. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I, I never wanted to leave that feeling at all. Right. And I want people to be encouraged that they can have that as well. You know, you don't have to conform and fit in this square. You know, you can literally be yourself and you can try your hobby out as a side hustle. And then you can graduate it to a business and then you can graduate it to a company and an enterprise. And then you can see what else you can do from there if you need to pivot or pass it down. So I'm trying to infiltrate. You know, on the boards that I serve on, um, some some community involvement that I, that I, that takes place that I love volunteering for, I'm always looking at the perspective of how can we increase equality, um, how can I get this information over onto a subset of people, um, what's the highest we can go with our uh, rather it's a diversity uh, level or um, can we double this in the budget uh, for outreach, um, what is something that's been that has been done in the past at work that didn't work is there room for for new ideas um, can we bring young people in um, because I, I, I listen to a bunch of successful business owners on podcasts and 
on television. I follow a few people, and one was talking about turning the pyramid upside down. We talk about the pyramid, of course, and you have the workers at the bottom and you have the CEO at the top. And it's, it's very rare that you get the workers at the bottom to have the ear of the CEO. So they talked about flipping the pyramid upside down. And at the top, you have your entry level, your interns, your, your new hires, your young people. They are the ones that's engaging in conversation to bring new ideas that may have not you know, been performed in the past. That's how I feel like we need to have just everything in our business community here. It doesn't mean they make the decisions. It just means they have a seat at the table. And you can take little bits and pieces of, hey, that's a good idea to take it all. But we don't know it all, right? And we grow up and we get into our family and we become antiquated. And some things we leave on the table. Some things we just don't know. Some technology we can't keep up with. But when I hired um, a college intern... I got a lot of energy from my last college intern, a lot of energy, because she's just like, let's go, let's go, let's try to say, have you considered this? And, you know, half the time, I'm like, just calm down. But the other half, I'm like, I'm inspired and, you know, go run with it, go run with it, go run with it. So, yeah, as a leader, I'm just trying to get young people to the table, um, diverse people to the table, um, connect them. I'm a huge connector. Like, if I know someone or I know of someone and we're in the same room, we're all friends. We're all associates. It's all opportunities, you know. And um, I would consider myself, and I appreciate you calling me a leader because, like, I'm like a stage builder, I feel like. Like, I want to build the stage and then invite the people on the stage and then sit on the side of the stage and then watch them. It's like, oh, great job. Well, it's them, you know. Um, can Shreveport do that more? Can we build more stages? Can we build larger stages that more people can share their spotlight? So, yeah, that, that's my MO when it comes to leadership in the community, for sure. Love it. All right, so this, this next question is just me leaning on you for a second for some guidance. I've asked one other person this question. Um, every resident of this area has been in this situation at one time and will inevitably encounter it again. You're at a dinner party or around friends and someone starts putting down or bad-mouthing Shreveport Bossier. What's the right way to react? We hope to correct that type of behavior moving forward. I've reacted in a lot of different ways. <laughs> Depends how much wine is at the dinner table. <laughs> um, but I would say first, I asked them why, and that's my whole thing. Because if you jump too quick, you'll close somebody off and they'll just list you the, the worst things that they've seen. So, man, why do you feel street? Because street poor being good or bad is not just about the perception. It's about that type of person and the socioeconomic status that they're at. Like, are they poor? Are they affluent? Uh, are they educated? Are they a transplant? Are they a native? Have they been impacted by crime? Did they go through the magnet program? Did they go through the neighborhood? Like, all of those things matter, right? So I like to ask them a question. Hey, like, why do you think that? And I, I kid you not, it's always something different. Opportunity is going to be at the top. So then I kind of break down, like, okay, you are in Shreveport, which is in the state of Louisiana, which is 40, which we're really fighting for 49th or 50th of economic development, right? So... Louisiana has a state problem. This is in the Shreveport thing. Then you say, okay, let's extend it to the south. The same thing with Mississippi. So when they go that way, I say, okay, 
you gotta understand what do you want it to be do you want it to be LA and Atlanta and New York or do we have some things that are already great that you just need to lean into as well um, and then other people honestly to me they're getting their um, I guess ideas and, and thought patterns from the media fear-mongering you know uh, I'm looking outside right now everyone's working out they look happy to me out there they're not concerned with crime or anything like that um, they may have a different perspective I try to really try to educate people from my unique perspective. Um, my dad's from Cedar Grove. My mom's from Stoner Hill. Um, I grew up in Southern Hills, moved to Pines Road, went to South Highlands, Middle Magnet, Magnet High. My parents kept me with my family in those two neighborhoods all the time. So I've seen a lot of different. Uh, I served tables for three years. I worked all these odd jobs. Then I went into banking and then I went into entrepreneurship. Um, Everybody is a product of their own environment. So when they when they when they speak bad about Shreveport, I, I usually have a great comeback. I usually can tell them no, it's not that, it's this. Um, but it's a long list. But usually the person that talks down on Shreveport that's living here, they're honestly they're mostly a negative person. If you, if you really look at it, because there's so many great pockets, right? Our architecture, our art. Our art is booming right now. We have murals and, and, and public installations at an all-time high right now, especially in the downtown area, right? We have fantastic food, okay? Our entrepreneurship was one of the highest two years ago per capita in the nation in 2021, okay? We got sportsman paradise, so we have great waterfront attractions and assets. Um, our people are diverse and beautiful. The, the problem that I see mostly is the divide between Shreveport and Bossier, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, until we take away the sibling rivalry and understand that we're one, um, it's going to always be just this little negative perception in my humble opinion. Uh, and it's not to put an indictment on Shreveport or Bossier, um, but... We don't really look at it as one entity like it was when I grew up in the 90s. In the 90s, it was like Shreveport Bossier with Shreveport leading the way. Now it's kind of like, stay on your side. You stay on your side. Um, how can a family really just preserve the greatness when you have inner fightings within the family? So sometimes their negative perception also can be from what they just heard around the corner or at school or in their job because someone feels like, one side is better than the other. Um, but I encourage people just to get out and find your pocket. You don't have to do it all. But there's some really cool things here in Shreveport. And there's some really, you know, challenges, I would say. I won't say bad things, but we have challenges. But every city has challenges. I was just in New Orleans last week. You know, they talk about the crime right there. Everybody was dancing, happy. You know, we went to a great restaurant. It was romantic, me and my wife. They had a great musician. We had Southern and Grambling. They was, they was um, second lining in the streets. We went to the battle of the bands. And guess what? The crime in New Orleans is worse than Shreveport. You know, when I, when I do business and talk to transplants that are not from Shreveport and they come to Shreveport, they love Shreveport. They love it. It's like, oh, I love Shreveport. I've been here 30 years. You know, I didn't grow up here. You know, I just moved here. We love it. We don't want to go. 
why is it that the natives feel this way? Um, again, I can't get to the bottom of that one because everybody walks a life is so different. Um, but I will say it's on a person's pers- like perspective and perception. Like I'm an optimist. You know, if you're a pessimist, I can put you in Dubai. You're gonna be mad you don't speak the language. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, I, I, I try to advocate as much and try to introduce new like um, things that I've experienced to people when I can. Have you tried this restaurant? Have you been to this event? Because um, a lot of people just don't go support from the fear that's been perpetuated, you know, through our media. We have top farmers market. Uh, we have some 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 food establishments that I can take people to. Okay, now some places they may be scared. You may be, I don't know, Jeff, if you pull up on some of these, but the food is amazing. And we have some um, some pockets that have just beautiful architecture. Um, we have some places, our parks, that they're just great. But people people will do something in Dallas, Texas, that they will not do in Shreveport. They won't go to the aquarium here, but they'll go there. They won't go shopping here, but they'll go there. They won't go to Walter B. Jacobs, but they'll go to a parking camping out there. They'll take that to Broken Bow. Like, we have some cool stuff here. We just gotta think outside the box. Now, the other side of the coin is, um, people need to see people that look like them do things. So I'm talking about like the black subset of African Americans. Um, I, I got an opportunity last week to meet the first black team that climbed Mount Everest last week. Okay. When was they, that? That was last week in New Orleans. No, when did oh, they climb they, it? They climbed it this past year. Okay. So I don't, I don't have a specific date, but it was this year. Okay. And it was a team of three. And um, they was talking about how they didn't have access to nature when they were young. And this is kind of true um, for a lot of African Americans. You know, when you talk about like fishing, um, when you talk about like um, tubing, kayaking, you know, these are camping. Um, here we are in Sportsman Paradise, and you got people that don't live, uh, leave their zip code. I mean, that is true. They've never been this way or that way. Um, they have to see someone like them sometimes. Or we got to meet them where they are and say, hey, we got some cool stuff over here. You know, it's kind of like when I went to Magnet, you know, I didn't know about lacrosse. You know, I was like, lacrosse, I'm football, baby. And they would say, hey, but when I, when I looked at the sport, I said, well, that, that is a tough sport. That's an interesting sport. They knocking your head off, too, because I like violent sport growing up, right? I mean, how many more tennis players can we have? Golf players can we have? Uh, can we get our young people in nature, like, all of these things open you up to new people, new experiences, and thinking outside of the box. Uh, these are things that I really want to challenge our city to do. If you have some cool stuff or some uh, interest, try a little bit harder to get more people involved. You know, uh, just like we have the Robinson Film Center. You know, um, I sit on the board over there, advocating for independent film and and, and foreign film and local filmmakers. Like these things. Are, are big, but you know how many people I run into and they say they don't know anything about Robinson Film Center at all? They're like, they ain't nobody at that. And I can take my wine in there and I can get some need up in there. You know, we should be putting it out a little bit more, but it takes filmmakers, directors, producers to say, hey, how can we expose this to a new class of people? You know, and you don't know who that person may grow up to be, you know. And um, so, anyway. Um, I forget what the question was, Jeff. I go off in these No, it's perfect. But, I was just um, asking <laughs> how you how you handle someone yeah. in a social situation oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. put yeah, down. Absolutely. So that's what I do. 
Yeah. I, I just go on and on about the great things that I've experienced rather recently or something that may be something that uh, like my family does on a consistent basis or, hey, I tried this. You just got to be positive. But you can't do it unless you are involved yourself. Like you have to get involved and get out your comfort zone a little bit and then you can take that back. So somebody got to lead the way. You bring it back. You know, that's it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. All right, so we'll get we'll get pretty specific now. You're the you're the owner of Envision Media and Marketing, right. a local concierge media and marketing company. Sure. Tell me about your company, mm-hmm. when it started, how it came to be, mm-hmm. where you're located, sure. and some of the different services you guys offer. Yeah, Envision started maybe uh, 15 years ago because because my love in media and marketing and just like film production and photography. That's been going on for a long time. And me and some of my childhood friends uh, started Young Pros Entertainment at the age of 18. We got that incorporated. And I was a founder, co-founder of Young Pros Entertainment. We occupied the Slattery Building for about seven years downtown. Um, and, and, and we did a great job. And we was a huge company. Was like six of us started it together. And I wanted to kind of move to a boutique um, situation that allowed me to have um, less volume and more quality. So that's where Envision was born. Um, I was really big on cinematography and, and photography, but I, I got a lot of challenges in uh, onboarding new clients and um, you know building capacity. When you meet people that's in our industry, usually they're freelancers, right? You have a photographer, you have a graphic designer, you have a cinematographer, you may have an editor. So it's very difficult in mass media production to build a company. Like, just no funds, just teach yourself, which I'm self-taught everything, and then you go. So I started an interest, or having an interest in public relations and communications and in marketing from a message of like awareness campaigns or startup companies that may need more than just one solution, like more than just a commercial, more than just a headshot. I would like to take like your vision from A to Z. Um, I can create you a logo, a color palette, a website, uh, the photography, the graphic design, a social media strategy, the programming that's on television, the programming that's on radio, if that's your solutions that you need to grow. And I start finding out, hey, for one thing, it's more fun you get long-term relationships, and then you get an opportunity to build capacity and bring in people underneath you so you don't have to outsource everything. Because I'm really big on building a sustainable company and not just a company that's just, I guess you just grab the opportunity and then you hire five contractors. Like, I really want a base and, a, and my company continue to grow to where when you come to us, we handle the majority of the work in-house, right? So we moved to public relations and I started working on a bunch of awareness campaigns um, with the state of Louisiana, Louisiana Department of Health. Uh, we helped them with the Bring Back Louisiana campaign, the Department of Transportation, uh, the Fly Safe Louisiana campaign. Uh, I do work with the parish of Caddo, as well as the city of Shreveport, uh, just putting out positive messaging and education on, for different projects um, that, that they have, rather new or things that are just you know ongoing. 
So that allows me to build capacity, but it also allows us to work with local businesses. Because if you look at local businesses, uh, if they don't have a six-figure revenue or better, usually they don't have a lot of money in the pot from marketing and, and media production. I didn't want to be a company that says, no, I can't do that, I got to haggle. So we have a balanced and a mixed approach. Um, if we do things at a corporate corporate level and a municipal level, um, you can build some capacity to be able to help smaller businesses. So that's where we live in between. We're doing passion projects. We're helping business start up. Um, we're helping them get like one-time solutions. And then we're also working with the municipalities at the state, parish, and regional level um, to put messaging out and just going forward. Um, I love what I do. I love my staff. Uh, my staff um, super smart, number one. Um, I'm the only man of the company. <laughs> so that works well because they're detail-oriented. They're mama bears. And um, they, they really care. Um, so what, what I want to take in vision, and the reason I named it in vision, is because, you know, like my love for cinematography and, and this business is all about up, upstairs. You know, can you see it? And I will always um, meet with clients. I'm like, I can see it, so it's good. Like, once I can see it, it's good. And then you work on materializing and manifesting these visions. And that's kind of how my life is. It's like, hey, get, let's rehab a building. Let's rehab a house. Um, let me do a commercial for you, but you need a concept. Um, tell me what, you, what your business feeling like. What do you want your business to feel like? Okay, I can see your color palette. I can see your logo. I know what colors to use for that. Um, tell me what you like when someone gets to your website. Tell me the way you want to feel when this ad is finished. I, all of those things go straight upstairs and makes me a visionary. And I, then I just work on the manifestation of that. That's just me as a person. That's why I do a lot. I just like to have a dream. Now I want to see the dream come alive and then on to the next one. The problem is I get a lot of dreams. Like last night, I think I had five dreams. That's what crazy. It's crazy. I was like, I had five dreams. I don't remember last time I had five dreams, but I did. I know we had a lot of dreams, but I remember my five dreams. That is what Envision is. It's just like trying to manifest dreams and uh, making dreams reality uh, for people, uh, for businesses. I have moved more B2B. Um, I, I was heavily B2C when I came in this industry. Um, but again, it's a lot because you got first generational. So there's an education piece that goes along with marketing and media for businesses. And it's very difficult at times um, to monetize, right? Because your startup or your consult, your consults, you may have to spend an hour and you got to educate them on why it's important. Oh, marketing is so important. You got money for rent. You got money for your product. You got, but you don't have no money for, for marketing for us to help you get your message or get your brand out to the masses. So it's a lot of education with that. Um, but like I said, I got a team of five. Um, our day-to-day -day looks like uh, making content, a lot of content on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, rather it's social media posts, short form video, photography, um, editing um, of that nature. And then we do a lot of like public events. We may put on a ribbon cutting. We may put on a project detail, um, like community outreach meeting for an entity or a municipality. Uh, we may do a bunch of consulting on like, hey, 
what's the, what's the strategy behind uh, how we're going to get it out? Are we going to go print? Are we going to go digital? Um, what's the budget looking like? Um, what's the ROI that we want? You know, these are the conversations I'm usually having. And then it's disseminated um, to my team, which they're in charge of making the, the majority of the content. And then I kind of creatively direct them. So it's a lot of fun. It's growing rapidly. Um, we look to increase our footprint outside of Shreveport even more so in 2023. And um, I, I really feel like it's our time as Shreveport entrepreneurs to get a bigger slice of the pie. So I'm going for bigger opportunities um, that we can bring that income here. So I'm really big on you know, us going to get money and resources outside of Shreveport and bringing it here versus milking what we have here. If we can get into a position of more outsourcing um, and not outsourcing from a contractor standpoint, but outsourcing to where my business is coming out of state and we're bringing that revenue here. And if we can like duplicate and replicate that here, we can increase our tax base and our sales taxes and that can turn into more property acquisition and we can increase property taxes there. And that, that's how we do it. So that's kind of my thinking. And that's why I never left Shreveport as well. Um, I feel like the people that I kind of grew up with that are like-minded, that are no longer here, they left because they wanted to be around like-minded people and get those opportunities, you know. So hopefully we can build something for them to come back to and for their kids to grow up in. Yeah. Love it. Vision. <laughs> so let's go back to a couple quotes of yours. Yeah. Um, when you bought 709 Texas Street, mm -hmm. To house and vision, which I think that's where y'all are today, right? Not, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. We're still in the office of a building on the third floor at the corner of Milan, Milan and Edwards currently. Prices are crazy right now. Sure. But, but yes, that was a huge acquisition, and right now we're going to be renovating next year. Perfect. So when you bought that, you said the following. You said, I want people to be inspired by this. I want people to invest in downtown, invest in the city. Those who do should be celebrated. You've been a longtime advocate and supporter of downtown Shreveport. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about why downtown Shreveport is important to you. Every time, um, I love to travel. Every time you get into a big city, where you land? The downtown, it's the skyline, and it's just beautiful, and the architecture and the people is vibrant. They're walking around, it's diverse. You got business people, you have tourist people, uh, you have great restaurants, you have great bars, you have museums. Like these are things that attract me to other large cities. And um, downtown Shreveport is like headed that way for sure. Um, when I started that quote out, quote off, and I said, you know, this should inspire people. I'm talking about like our, our age group, you know. Um, you know, being young and, and, and buying property, number one. Buying property and investing in real estate is the number one way to generational wealth, we, period. So I want people to actively seek real estate acquisition. So be inspired, go grab something. I don't care where it is. Um, now, downtown is even more special uh, because if I talk to my grandmother, you know, at one point she couldn't go downtown, you know. Um, she's 90 years old. And uh, for me, a young African What do you mean at one point? She at, couldn't at, go downtown? At, at one point, she was not comfortable okay, going comfortable. downtown. Because okay. um, of crime or because safety? Just, 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 uh, no, I'm saying when she grew up, 
when she was a little girl, um, it's just Texas Street was not a diverse place. I got you. Years ago, so while, from a racial standpoint, from a racial standpoint, okay. and I was just gonna say for an African American male to purchase a building on Texas Street is monumental. And it, it shows that we're going in the right direction um, of, of our real estate, our downtown, and our business community becoming well diverse and a reflection of what our demographics are. You know, um, some people, let me give you an example, right? So I, I can't put what I purchased the building for, but when I talk to people and they're like, man, how'd you buy it? I didn't know you. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't have that much money. It was a sweet deal that required research, haggling, and patience. Right, um, for what they asked for and what I got it for, but when I shared that information, they could what? I can buy a building downtown. Yes, you can. You can. You can. But you can buy a building in your neighborhood. And for a lot of people, they you know real estate we take it for uh, granted. You know, a lot of people it's, it's a big deal when you buy a house, right? Uh, you have some people that never buy a house. You have people that rent for 40 years. So to, to purchase a commercial building is a message we got to be sending out to young people. Hey, you can do that. You can group your money together and go get it, you know. Um, even more so for a young African-American male. You know, Texas Avenue in, historically was more, you know, for us. When I say us, it's black people. And then Texas Street wasn't. And, and now it's becoming more diverse. On the east side, you have even more ownership of African American and there's just a lot of development generally regardless of your race I serve on the DDA and um, I think I fell in love with downtown when we moved in the Slattery building as I mentioned before and when you're like 20 early 20s and you have a building downtown you do a lot of exploration and you just walk around you looking and you know spend a lot more time because you, you're more carefree right and um, just over time you start noticing little things and you start looking things up um, about buildings the owners um, the history of those buildings um, you start paying attention to the art a little bit more so before you know it it's like an extension of your home or your home neighborhood where you grew up and like downtown for me it's like an extension right um, it's home I feel at home when I'm downtown I like walking around. I love the growth. I love the business community. I love how we're changing and renovating buildings. I mean, the occupancy level is high. Um, I worked in the Chase building as a banker for Chase. I worked in the Regions building as a banker for Regions. I've owned a business in the Slattery building. I work currently in the office of a building. I also house office space in the Louisiana building. And then now I'm moving to the Slattery building. So I've literally been working all over the place downtown. I see it from different perspectives, whether we're at the Petroleum Club and you're high up, or I'm at the Robinson on the balcony. Uh, it's hard not to fall in love with it. I think people just don't spend a lot of time, you know, downtown because of what they hear and, and the fear, and because it's, it's safe. It's super safe, you know. Uh, I think only one time I've had a problem, and I was super young, and I saw a purse get snatched, and I chased the man down for this old lady. And when I got to the guy, I didn't know what to do. I was real scared. <laughs> and he was scared, too, so he just threw me the purse. And um, out of 10 years, that's the only problem I've had with downtown. It's been super safe. Um, so I just, I, I, if we're going to be a robust just like city that has so much like tech and great infrastructure and art, Rather, it's culinary or visual or performing arts. 
we have to invest in our downtown. And eventually, we're going to run out of space and we're going to really do something with that waterfront on, on the Red River, you know? So um, I'm just in love with the place. Um, I can't wait till we renovate. We're going to have a lot of things going on. I have an Airbnb at the top. Um, at the bottom level, we're going to have a studio. I'll house my business, and we'll also have an art studio for an artist um, to occupy a boardroom, and we'll be able to host events. So it's going to be a lot of different revenue streams and a lot of different vibrations under one roof. And this is hopefully the first of many. Um, because uh, like right now, me and my wife are invested in residential real estate, and we've been like kind of contracting, doing the thing ourselves, kind of like self-flipping and things of that nature. I want to take that over to commercial and really consider developing, you know. Um, but I do believe in downtown Shreveport. You build it, they will come. Uh, I just think that we need some more, uh, I think, younger and, and, and aggressive um, property owners, you know, so, um, one thing that I'm pushing for right now is a vacancy ordinance um, to DDA, and hopefully, um, I know we're going through the change of administration, hopefully we can get um, their support with this, and the purpose of this is for buildings that are unsecured, that are vacant or underutilized, uh, we need to encourage them in some type of way to sell or renovate by way of blueprints with a timeline, maybe 24 months, make sure it's insured, make sure it's secured, and if not, hopefully we can levy a tax on them uh, to really motivate them to get in the game. And uh, I think once we do something to implement that, you're going to see, and it's just a handful of, of business owners or property owners, uh, once you see that, I feel like they can put those buildings in the commerce or maybe put them in someone else's hands that, that really wants you know to renovate and see downtown grow. So um, I think downtown should be a place as soon as you come to Shreveport, you race down to, and we need 10 Noble Savages, and we need 10 Poppin' Pizzas, and we need more Remingtons, and we need the Film Center to be boomed out to where, so we can renovate the other side and, and bring in some more cool things. Um, I think all of these things is what I see. Uh, we did a public art installation for artists, our, our black art show, and we put this huge, absolutely quality mural on the side of the building through Canadian Baylor, visual artists, it's local. Uh, when people in my office sit at the top, I see people all day driving and just stopping and get out the car and take a picture. Uh, they get in front of the in front of the mural, they read the history, they scan the QR code. You know, if we had 20 of those, you know, people say, hey, I can go on this great tour, kind of like uh, Robert Trudeau puts on, and, and I can see more and more and more, and, and we got to start downtown. And what we do downtown, it's going to become even more infectious, and it's going to bleed over to our neighborhoods, uh, because some neighborhoods, they need that same attention that downtown has for sure. Love it. All right, so I'm down to my last question, which is a very long question. That, those other ones weren't long. <laughs> this, one's, okay. this one's long. All right. <laughs> so my question is, uh, let's, let's talk race for a second mm -hmm. in our community. Sure. Your wife, Brittany, who was recently our guest, serves as the chairwoman of the Shreveport African American Chamber of Commerce, and you have both been deeply involved in working to mentor, lift up, and advocate for other African Americans in our community. You once said, Shreveport is a predominantly black city. It wasn't always like that. As Shreveport evolves from African Americans being the minority to being the majority population, 
Talk to me about steps we can take to improve our race relations. In other words, what do you see as the white population's responsibility in dealing with the race issue? And what do you see as the black population's responsibility in dealing with the issue of race in our community? That's good. Um, I'll start with the black population, actually. Um, we need to continue to be aggressive um, to get a seat at the table by educating ourselves on financial literacy, business practices, um, and, and, and really being, I think, a little bit more, um, how I want to say this, sometimes we're scared to come to the table. I'm speaking for the race, right, because it's not familiar. It's just unfamiliar. Like, they've never, I've never been, like, I would be at the bank all the time, and I would try to tell people, you know, hey, can you open another account so I can get you a loan? And they'd be like, my mama told me, you know, my grandma told me, don't put no money in this bank, you know, and because there's been a lot of tr distrust and mistrust and that's been sown into our race over time, and it's evident. Sometimes there's a lot of great opportunities, and I know they're, they're great opportunities, they're legit, but because of past experiences, we don't want to come, we don't want to try it. What I'm saying is we need to give it a try. We need to think outside the box. Uh, we need to accept the invitation. Uh, we need to support each other more. Uh, unfortunately, uh, just for generations, there's been this investment of, of hate in the black community, and it's perpetuated here in Shreveport. Uh, first of all, we have to love ourselves um, before we expect someone else to love us. And there's a lot of that that we need to deal with here, unfortunately. Uh, uh, we gotta love ourselves and we have to accept ourselves and we gotta support ourselves. Uh, once we do that, I think we can have a better ask. I think we also can deal with mending these broken relationships across the racial lines. But you're talking about a subset of people a lot of times that they just don't feel loved or they don't feel um, included. And this is it's like hard when you're secluded for so long, someone offers you a hand is so unfamiliar. It's like, I don't even know how to feel about that. Um, but we gotta love ourselves and support ourselves. That's the big thing for the black community. Um, on the other side, not really trying to make it black, white. Um, we have to be intentional. I think it's the same thing altogether. We need to be intentional with our dollars, intentional with our spending, our intentional in our support. And what I mean by that, we did the Black Re uh, Restaurant Week, okay? Um, Dominique Ben posted that on her page and it got, as soon as it posted, I went and made a quick comment because I knew what was about to happen. And I just wanted to further give details on why it's important. Why do we need to say, we have a black restaurant week or a black business week. It's because of the disparities, right? There's access to capital, supply chain issues, financial literacy, first time generational um, business owners. These are reasons why we need to highlight them. And I think the comments wind up having 1.2, like, like 1,200 comments. Most of them pretty negative and colorful. And one of the comments said, I don't see the problem with it, honestly. I think the problem for us is the word black. <laughs> and I was like, well, duh, we know that's the problem. <laughs> but black restaurant week. But when I say be intentional, how many 
um, times you get in, a, in, in your car and say, hey, I want to spend my dollar with the black community or I want to go support a black business. And do you even know why it's important and how can we educate to tell you why that is important? Is it because, you know, black businesses have a, a, a very much lower success rate? Is it because we have 2.6 million black businesses? And out of those 2.6, only 2.5 are sole proprietorships, which means only about 100,000 have more than one employee. Um, when you talk about generational wealth and the average like household income uh, for African-Americans, it's a lot less you know, than other races. Uh, home ownership is not increasing. Uh, real estate is not being purchased. Um, uh, education for black women is getting better, but for black men it's not. Um, this is why the ones that are putting their best foot forward and they have a little something going, they need all of us. Uh, whether it's Orlando's or Crab Kings on Hearn Avenue or Chocolate Pineapple on Burkoons or Red Barn Cajun Seafood on Pines Road. You know, we, a lot of these places a lot of people haven't heard of. And sometimes they can say, well, that, that's in the sketchy area or all black area or I just never heard of them. I, they need to do a better job of marketing. But how do you do that when you're pulling everything out your pocket and you don't have a marketing budget, as I discussed earlier? Um, being intentional is infectious. You know, Jeff, you take your family, you go to Orlando's to eat, you know, and, and some of your friends, maybe half of them have never spent a dollar there before. Now they have a great experience and they take their friends. Now Orlando's can, can outsource their tartar sauce and get in, you know, in Brookshire's as Super One and Kroger. Now they can expand and now we have the Tonys that's in Baton Rouge, we have it here in Shreveport. The Papa Do's is in Texas, is Orlando's here. And um, we increase that dollar, which increases employment. And that is a reflection of what the demographic of our city is. You know, um, Atlanta works, and everybody talks about Atlanta. The reason why Atlanta works is because they are intentional. They have a huge project. They make sure black contractors get a piece of the pie. Those black contractors hire black people. Those black people spend their money in their neighborhoods, in their city, and it matriculates, and it goes on and on. Um, if we're not talking about it and thinking about it, who is? Just because we're super pro-black doesn't mean we're anti-anything. Um, we're just a voice of the voiceless. And um, when we talk about the generational wealth, and I keep bringing that up, it's because it feels a certain way to pass something great down. And unfortunately, African-Americans in the past have not had a lot to pass down because we were stripped of a lot. You know, I don't know what my language is, my native language is. I don't know what my name uh, was. I don't know, uh, I was talking to my dad, we was um, on the road trip the other day, and, and I asked my dad about my family, and I asked about my grandmother's mother, and he said, you know, I never seen her before. I, I don't have a picture of her before. I didn't know what she did. I said, well, do you know her name? And he said, that's all I know. He did, and like, if you have wealth, Typically, that doesn't happen, okay? Um, you know where you come from. You, you're able to uh, set tradition. And when you set tradition, you have more to live for. You have more pride. So that's why I keep taking things back to, like, hey, wealth building. 
uh, passing something down. If, if you do build generational wealth and you pass that down to your kids, they have a higher chance of, um, of, of education on a collegiate level, right? They have um, a higher chance of owning their own business or continuing the business that you started. And, um, you know, a tide is going to raise all, all boats at the end of the day. So even when you take a step back and say, well, don't make it a black-white thing, Shreveport's a black city. We need black people to be successful for Shreveport to be successful. And it's just facts. So if we're not invested in that, you know, why are we doing ourselves a disservice? This conversation is, is the first step of it all. And that's why I appreciate the question. Because awareness is the top of the marketing, right? You make people aware. And then if you do a good job and you, and you put the message out and people respond to that message and then you deliver, the last part is advocacy. And that's where the change happens. But we can't do it if no one's aware. And if you're working, walking around in ignorant bliss and not understanding, why do they make things about black? It's only because of the stuff that we didn't have. The resources or the education that we didn't have. The, uh, you know, you're seeing a bunch of supplier diversity managers for corporations and uh, municipalities and everything. We need to see it at the board level because that's where the decisions are, ma are made. If you have an entity that is one or predominantly one demographic and it's not represented at the decision making table, how is true representation really there? It's not how the hard conversations, rather you understand it or you don't. You know, I'd rather take someone that's turning that knob, Jeff, and trying and learning than someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm on and off a switch. Hey, I'm an ally. I don't have to learn anything. I got black friends. I, I hire black people. It's about furthering the conversation. And that's all we're asking is, hey, let's make ourselves aware of the disparities and the gaps. And then let's say, hey, what can we do? Like, what is this one thing you can do? And can you do that one thing consistently? Um, because at the end of the day, we got to stand for something, you know? And I really love Shreveport. And I know you love Shreveport. And I know the people watching love Shreveport. And, and Shreveport means everyone. It doesn't mean just black. It doesn't mean just white. It doesn't mean just Asian. It doesn't mean just Hispanic. It doesn't mean Republican, um, Democrat. You know, it's it's all of us together. So when someone's intentional, don't be offended by by proactiveness. Because another question on the Black Restaurant Week was, uh, I didn't see Asian and I didn't see Hispanics and Dominique Ben went under and put the stories that they did and it wasn't such an uproar. Why is that? And the reason why is because we have a long way to go uh, with our race relations. When you look at Cattle Parish and you look at Shreveport and when you look at it historically, we was the last area to, um, to, to, to um, concede in the Civil War. Cattle Parish is one of the bloodiest um, places in the Civil War. Um, when Martin Luther King came down here, he called Shreveport a peculiar place. When Sam Cooke came down here to perform and they threw him in jail and he wrote Change is Gonna Come from a Shreveport jail, the roots in Shreveport, unfortunately, are not in the favor of African Americans. What we need is as many allies as we can grab. We need education, we need an investment, and we need intentional dollars spent in our community, um, rather it's from a business standpoint or an education standpoint. If you look at the predominantly black neighborhoods even, the magnet system, you know, maybe 
community that needs a second look. I went to South Highlands. Uh, my son goes to Eden Gardens right now. Eden Gardens is located in Eden Gardens, which is in Cedar Grove, which is predominantly black, if not all black. And how many black students attend that school? You know, I, every time I'm in the carpool line, I look out and it's just a, a bunch of black kids catching the bus to be bused to another school do we need to look at our education yes we need to look at our school system yes we need to look at banking you know i remember again and this is not to like point fingers or anything but i know what it was like when i was at the banking desk and someone would walk through that door and automatically judgment was on that person based on the race because oh, nine times out of ten let's be honest black people struggle with their credit score from lack of financial literacy so if you already have a disposition that you're not going to make money off that person, what are your chances of sitting that person down and educating that person? Now, maybe that's why they didn't like me too much at the bank. I hit my numbers, but I did a lot of teaching. And I was the one that said, hey, come sit down. Let me teach you about secure credit card, credit billing. I, I understand you're scared to pull your credit, but let me pull it so we can at least know where we are. Let me run some numbers for you. And guess what? 20%, maybe 15% of the time, you know, they will come back and we will get them a loan or get them a house. Now, the majority of the time, unfortunately, it went in one ear and out the other. That's why I believe in incremental like like advancement like we can't save everyone but can we do a little but um i think i think we're on the right path honestly um what we have to understand is that we're one street port but we cannot ignore the disparities that's the big thing you know we can't say well you're not a part you're not feeling the racism or the systemic racism or the overt racism you know um we got to acknowledge that it is real that it was a system that is still working, that's capitalizing and marginalizing a subset of people. And if I start a race and I put two people down and I say, go on one, now I'll hold you back. And then I say, okay, now you can go. You can't look up and say, well, you, you're running now. Well, you got to leave for me and you've been running the whole time. And you've picked up speed. You may be in the stretch and I'm just, oh, I need to stretch a little bit. To me, that's how it is, you know. So we got to put home ownership at the front too, Jeff. Like that's a big thing for me because that's the number one way to increase generational wealth and pride, you know. So, yeah, I can go on and on about that. But uh, I appreciate that question because um, it doesn't come a lot. Not a lot at all, you know. You know, if we ask that question more, um, we can get more answers and more commentary. And whoever listens to me, listen, I never thought about it that way. You know, uh, I'll say this. I've never thought about it, the the race, the two people running a race. I've never thought of it that way. That's right. fascinating. Right. And, um, like, COVID really showed us a lot. Um, because when COVID happened and the business shuttered, me and Brittany, my wife, of course, she, we had a peculiar... Uh, or a unique perspective because she was helping do a bunch of the financials to get the PPP loans and the economic injury disaster loans. Our white clients had their paperwork in order. Our black clients or new clients, and they wasn't clients, it was people reaching out to us because they knew we were having, hey, I, I need help. They just didn't have their paperwork in order. Now they knew they needed it in order, but they couldn't afford a CPA or no one ever told them, 
Or they just say, look, we just been paying. We've we done what we could. I run it through QuickBooks and I pay my taxes, but it's not enough. You need a P&L statement. You need to make sure your assets are on file. You need to make sure you're paying everything on time. They didn't know that their personal credit score impacted their business credit score. They didn't have a DUNS number. They just It's a lot of things that they didn't have. So when they was getting turned down for these um, resources given down from the government, it, it, it crippled their business. It really did, and they had no other relief. That is an example of the disparity, right? Another thing, if you paid attention to PPP, PPPs went through your business, went through your business bank account. So it went through your bank. Your bank was responsible for helping people get PPP relief. If you're a small business and you're not don't have a great banking relationship, I mean it's a reason why they invested in in, in, in the banking act that was uh, um, to, to to help races have an equal playing field. It's a reason why they had to put that act on forward because it, it showed its ugly face again. You know, you had some people that just they just couldn't afford to bank with some of the larger institutions, and you had some smaller banks saying, "We're not doing the PPP. It's not profitable enough for us." So if you had an account at a couple credit unions or some local banks, you got referred to someone else and you had to get in line because big banks like Chase and Regions and Capital One, they uh, preferred you know, their own uh, clients over new clients. That's just a small example of the disparity. And that's with the government giving free money you know, to help businesses. And people may not look at that as a disparity, but it is. It is a disparity. It, I mean, it's a disparity when you have when you just don't see yourself represented in some areas like just for little kids for example like they, they released um a black barbie years ago that is people may not think how big that was but when you see a little girl see herself glammed up on the shelf in the lights you can buy that piece that is beautiful that's why we're kind of forever just broke records you know on the heels of the black panther right because they want to see a black superhero. Representation matters more than what people really give credit to. And everything isn't just about the negative stuff and just overt racism. Like drinking out of a water fountain, colors only, move to the back of the bus. Thank God we moved past that. But it's more and more of a system. And like the way we get it, again, is through these conversations. But we need to continue moving this to advocacy, which moves into legislation. Saying things like, hey, if you um, if your family never owned a home before, you know, we got some first time home buying programs that really make sense. You know, not these antiquated, complicated applications that's like, I don't know, I can't do. I'm talking about things that really put assets in the uh, less fortunate and, um, and, and despaired hands. These are things that we want to move towards. Um, it's not just about money. It's about the education. You know, we should be teaching um, our kids how to balance a checkbook in middle school. You know, they had shop growing up. We didn't have, I didn't have an opportunity to do shop. I would have loved shop because I could barely put stuff together with my hands or more cerebral than, than that. But, you know, they've moved away from these things. Also, understanding that trades are important for a, a city like Shreveport. We was built on blue collar. If you looked at our 80s, 90s, we had a blue collar boom, right? And then we got away from that. We need to be rolling trades out, and the trades need to be rolled out at a high school and middle school level. That way we can retain people and move them straight into the workforce. Uh, 
because of the demographics in Shreveport, that's going to impact African Americans a lot. My dad worked for UPS for 38 years. Um, he, no college, you know, he went to Southern for a year, he was in the military for two years, came back and got a job at UPS, and he never left that job, you know. Um, you can kind of put that in a trade field, you know, uh, welding, uh, uh, electrical, uh, plumbing, HVAC, you know, these are things that we can teach, and it, it will help African Americans until we feel the, the gap of the education disparity that we have as well. So this is a huge spectrum to talk about. Um, I'll say this too, because I want to throw that out there. You know, black media, I'm in media and marketing, so black media is important too, okay? And if you look at media outlets and you look at media companies, they make their money off of advertising, okay? So you look about the advertising, where does that money come from? Corporations, what type of corporations? Utility companies, um, um, companies like Procter and Gamble, these huge companies that make money off of everybody, because you got you need your your, your toilet your toiletries and all these good things. When it comes to like me as a black media company, I'm looking for ways to partner with them. I want them to spend money with me, and I want to help advertise for black companies and, and all companies. But I want you to be intentional with your dollar. So I'm looking at things always from just a pro-black standpoint. But um, again, sometimes it's kind of hard, Jeff, because you can really offend people, you know, when you're pro-black. You can. You know, don't say that. We're at a board meeting. No, you mean for all people, right? Um, you mean you mean for all races, right? Um, you, you mean for women too, right? Well, we're talking about a double minority, a black woman. So... No, I mean, I mean for black people, for people of color, you know, it's okay, um, and we're we're a spectrum of people too, and we're a diverse subset of people too. So I think um, the more people understand that, that it, it this tide rises all boats, and it's not an indictment on anyone. It's just saying, hey, you know, can I have a seat at the table? Can you teach me something? And can we take it back? That's it. So we can have the same fair chance. And um, we're moving in the right direction, I'll say that. We're definitely moving in the right direction. And I just appreciate anyone who's willing to have that discussion, anyone that's willing to put their money where their mouth is. Um, I can really appreciate that, you know. And they can come. We say you're invited to the cookout, all right? So come to the cookout. We're going to have some fun. That's a black service saying you're invited to the cookout. We're going to have some food. You have a seat. Thank you for coming. All right. We're going to share this barbecue, get some potato salad. So, no, we appreciate you. But thank you for that question. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for the honesty. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um. Anything else you want to say? No. I mean, I, I want to kind of leave the the big thing on, like, the unity that's needed right now for Shreveport. Please. And Shreveport and Bossier. Um, Like, we really got to get over, you know, the small bickering um, and we really got to take control of our own narrative we cannot allow just a small subset of people to drive a narrative that we're not a growing vibrant um, diverse city we're a great city I, I really encourage everyone to keep putting that message out there do not be silent on the sidelines advocate for your whatever you love Whatever restaurant, whatever business, whatever whatever you love that Shreveport has to offer, advocate for it. Talk about it.
publicize it, put it out there, let people know. Because if we just say silent, someone else is going to write our story. You may not like it. You may not like it. So that's what I got to say. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Trayden. Appreciate Absolutely. you yeah, very yeah. much. All right.